0: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to witness a wedding, the joining of this church with this groom together in holy matrimony. Don't worry, you haven't clicked onto the wrong service by mistake. But if you've been privileged enough to witness a wedding, chances are that at some point in a wedding that you might have been to, you will have heard today's verses spoken Because the passage we're going to look at today are some of the most used in all of the Bible. Amongst Christians and non-Christians alike, they remain some of the most beautifully poetic verses in all of Scripture. I'm talking, of course, of the start of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and the topic for today, which is love. Let's take a look at these verses now, and let's chew through them slowly and really enjoy them together. So let's read. If I speak in the tongues of men, or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and give my body over to hardship so that I may boast, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. You can see instantly, can't you, why these verses are so frequently used in wedding ceremonies. Some 2,000 years after they were written, they remain some of the most eloquent, heartfelt, and wonderfully inspirational words about love ever written, don't they? This is a beautiful piece of scripture, isn't it? But this isn't a wedding sermon. We're in the middle of a sermon series called Eagerly Desire. We're looking at the the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Corinth and we're unpacking the use of spiritual gifts within the body of the church. So why are these passages here? See, this series is called Eagerly Desire because we believe that spiritual gifts are something to be eagerly desired. And it's been great to see over the last few weeks at Everyday Church, both in our physical venues and online, the rising up of faith, the level of desire that has risen for more of the things of God to be tangible and visible in our gatherings. But as we're going to unpack today, if the love of God isn't the underpinning of the use of these gifts, then we're in danger of misusing and even abusing them, as appeared to be the case in the church in Corinth. And as with all things that God entrusts to his people, if we're going to handle them well, the actual gift is not of primary importance, but the character of the one receiving it is. Which is why, sandwiched in between a discussion about the different types of gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which we've looked at over the last couple of weeks, and their proper use and application in the gatherings that we're going to read about in a few weeks' time in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, as we'll continue to look at, we find today, in 1 Corinthians 13, this extraordinary treatise on love. We actually covered these passages earlier the, this year in our Vision and Value series. It forms one of the seven words we said describe who we are as everyday church. Son, Father, Spirit, Grace, Community, Kingdom, and Love. Because love is one of our core values that identify and define the type of body of people we long to be. See, Paul uses the word love a lot in these verses, doesn't he? But what exactly does he mean? What is the love that he's talking about? Well, Paul wrote the New Testament, along with the other authors who wrote the New Testament, they wrote in ancient Greek, and authors such as C.S. Lewis and others identified a number of Greek words which we in English translate to love, but they all mean very different things. For example, there is the word storge, which is a familial affection, the type of love you might feel for a family member. There is eros, uh, the type of romantic love we would associate with a partner. There is also philia, or friendship, which is brotherly love. It's why the city of Philadelphia in the United States is called the city of brotherly love. And finally, there's this word that Paul uses in these verses, agape. Now, agape is the word most often used for love in the Bible, it appears over 200 times in the New Testament. And because of the way it is used, agape is sometimes loosely translated to English as charity. But charity doesn't go anywhere near to describe the the depth and the type of love that Paul is describing here. Now, to the Greeks, agape would have meant something much closer to empathy or more like sacrificial kindness for one another. This type of love is an action, to be done not a feeling to be felt and it's the word most often used in relation to god and his love for us john 3:16 says for god so agape the world that he gave his one and only son this type of love is most clearly embodied in the person of jesus and that's the type of love that paul is describing when he says agape is patient agape is kind But I don't know about you, that feels a bit unobtainable for me and for us, doesn't it? And it would be, save for the Holy Spirit, which dwells in the heart of every believer in Jesus. You know, sometimes when these verses are used in a wedding sermon, the preacher may insert the names of the people getting married into this verse. For example, Sean is patient. Sean is kind. But I find that a little depressing, I don't know about you, because... I have to be honest with myself and say I'm not always patient. I'm not always kind. Sometimes I don't feel like I embody any of these characteristics of love that Paul is talking about. However, let's look at it another way. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4 that God is love. It's not just his name, he is love. And therefore Jesus, the man who lived and walked on this earth over 2,000 years ago, who called himself the Son of God, is also named love. It's one of his names because it's who he is. And then if we substitute, therefore, his name into these verses, we see something quite different. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus never fails. And what we see then is that agape love becomes not just an emotion felt or an idea dreamed, but this love becomes personified in Jesus himself. But if we carry on with this logic a little bit more, then we see that something even more remarkable happens. Because, of course, Jesus is not physically with us anymore, is he? Romans 8.34 tells us that Jesus is raised to heaven and is now seated at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Before Jesus left this earth and ascended to heaven, he promised to send a helper for us, the person of the Holy Spirit. And Romans 8.11 tells us that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. And so that means the spirit is in me, And the Spirit's in you. And so, forgive my linguistic clumsiness, but let's try that again. The Holy Spirit in me is patient. The Holy Spirit in me is kind. He does not envy, he does not boast, he's not proud. He does not dishonor others, he's not self-seeking, he's not easily angered, he keeps no record of wrongs. The Holy Spirit in me does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The Holy Spirit in me never fails. And so gloriously, this now becomes a promise from God to fill each and every one of us to all his fullness and to be able to demonstrate God's agape love to one another and to be able to receive, handle and display the full range of spiritual gifts that are on offer to us and that Paul tells us to eagerly desire. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like much better news, doesn't it? So why does Paul describe this type of love within the context of spiritual gifts? Well, I think the main reason is that because the exercise of a spiritual gift in a public gathering always requires a step of faith on behalf of the bringer. If you speak to anyone who has ever demonstrated any one of the spiritual gifts in a gathering, whether it's wisdom, tongues, prophecy, healing, or any of the others, they'll always tell you it's almost always a slightly uneasy experience. You're never quite sure if what you have to share is from the Lord or not, which is why when someone comes to share a spiritual gift, you'll often hear them use words like, I think this might be for someone here, or I believe God wants to do this today. Or I feel like God wants to say this. Because you're never really quite sure it's genuinely from God or not until you take that step of faith out to share what you've got on your heart. Which is why us showing love for one another is so important. Because love creates a culture in our gatherings where it's okay to share something and okay to sometimes get it wrong. If it is given and received in agape love. And that means that if I am the bringer of the gift, I should only do so out of love and compassion for those around me. If I know that God is speaking to to me for someone, that means that, sorry, if, if I know that God is speaking to me through someone else, that means I should show love and acceptance of that gift and not dismissal of it. Even if I've heard it before. Even if they brought me the same word last week. Even if I don't quite understand exactly what it is they're trying to say to me. See, if we give and receive in love, we grow as a community together. You know, I'm so grateful for the church in Corinth that Paul wrote to. They were getting so much wrong in their gatherings, talking over one another, ignoring the needy among them. All kinds of sin and division were among them. And yet Paul doesn't condemn them. He gives them some correction and framework, yes, but then he tells them to continue pursuing God. He tells them to eagerly desire The church in Corinth is a wonderful example of a community working out its imperfections together, and Paul tells them that this is the most excellent way to do it with agape love for one another. Love should be our foundation, our motivation, and our goal for one another. Because we don't want spiritual gifts to be the sole preserve of a few super holy Christians, don't we? No, we eagerly desire because we want everyone to receive spiritual gifts from God and to use them in our gatherings for the benefit of everyone, don't we? So what happens then if we are not exercising spiritual gifts in love? Well, Paul very helpfully illustrates this for us right at the beginning with a bit of a musical analogy. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And what does he mean by this? Well, permit me to demonstrate. I just so happen to have a gong right here. And watch what happens when I try and talk to you while I'm playing it. As you can hear, you probably can't hear the gong. That probably sounded really loud and irritating to you, didn't it? You probably didn't hear what I was saying as I was sounding the gong. As you can tell, it's very hard to hear over all the clanging noise. What Paul is saying here is, is that the gift of tongues brought without consideration or care for the hearer is simply going to be loud noise, undecipherable and annoying. A cymbal played at the right time offers exclamation to the statement of good music. But symbols clanging nonstop are clumsy, unintelligible, and are going to be really irritating to your listeners. And he goes on to say the same sort of thing about other spiritual gifts. If I could know everything, Paul says, but if I lord that knowledge over people, then I really know nothing. If I give away everything I have, but I'm smug and self-centred about it, it's almost like I've given nothing at all. If sacrificial love for one another is not underpinning the use of our spiritual gifts, well, we might as well not bother bringing them at all. Or or even eagerly desiring them. See, ultimately, these verses tell us something about the character required to receive, to handle, and to treat spiritual gifts. Will, as the saying goes, people don't care about what you know until they know that you care. See, we said earlier that this type of love, agape, is best seen in action rather than in feeling. But how can we outwork this in our lives, and particularly? in our gatherings? Well, I think there's perhaps three ways in which we consider how this works out. The first is to have genuine care and concern for others and not for ourselves. We should not desire spiritual gifts because they bless us or for ourselves, but because of what they can do to bless the people around us. And so practically for us, when weighing up to whether or not to bring a spiritual gift in a gathering, the key question we should be asking ourselves is not, is this accurate? But is this in love? Will this bless the person that I want to bring it for, or will it harm them? Will it encourage them or condemn them? If we can answer that, then we can keep in time with the music that God is already playing and avoid just being loud, empty noise. And I would add that, that our love for people doesn't stop once we've brought whatever it is that God has given us to share. If you have a word of knowledge or a, a prophecy of healing for someone, it's okay for you to follow up with them and ask them later, have they seen God move in that area? Now we have to be careful here, because, particularly around healing or words of knowledge, because we can inadvertently create more pressure on people or by expecting something to have happened. Sometimes the outworking of the the fullness of what God has to share isn't born in the moment, but is something that is worked out in a person's life over time. I've heard people say things to, to others like, I prayed for your back. Is your back healed? Oh, well, have you tried stretching then instead? Which I don't always think is a very loving response. But perhaps saying to a brother or sister something like, you know, you've been really on my mind since I brought that word for you. Is there anything else I can pray for you for? demonstrates genuine love and concern for that person and not just for the gift in the moment. And when both the bringer and the receiver are acting out of agape love for one another, then I believe the blessing of God will grow and we will notice more and more moves of the Spirit that we're longing to see. And the second, second working out of this agape love is forgiveness. See, forgiveness is the foundation of God's love for us and the outworking of it amongst one another. If we recall again the things that love does and does not do, I love this handy little table that kind of summarises it for me, it seems like we can see more things that love is not, or that love does not do, rather than the positive side of what love is. Well, why is that, you might ask yourselves? I think the answer is, is that we're flawed human beings. And although we're saved, we're all on a sanctification journey of becoming more and more like Jesus in different ways. And that means that because we're flawed, more often than not, we can more easily lean into the negative first. See, when we are patient, love allows us to forgive others as Jesus has forgiven us. When we do not envy, we forgive others that appear to us to have more and better gifts than us sometimes. When we don't boast, We forgive that sometimes we feel overlooked from God and from others. When we keep no record of wrongs, we recognize that we are forgiven by God and he doesn't keep any records of wrong over us so that we can forgive others and not let bitterness take a hold of it in our hearts. See, we love only because he first loved us. And that means that we are released into our full calling and gifting in the body of Christ, not wishing that we were an eye or ear, as we looked at in our previous verses, but rejoicing in the truth of us being a valued and important member of the body of Christ. And finally, I think the the last way that we can outwork this type of agape love is found in communion, in the Lord's Supper, which we're going to look at in much more detail a little bit later on. Communion used to be called a love feast in the ancient church. And it was a whole meal which included the partaking of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine that you would be familiar with as we take today. That Lord's Supper was just one part of a broader meal that people would do in community with one another. Now Paul had a lot to say about the Corinthian church's outworking of their love feasts, and not a lot of it was good, if, if I'm honest. And so he reminded them of the purpose of communion. Communion should be a place of examining ourselves and recentering our lives around the agape love of God. He tells them in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now we will take communion today as part of our service and as we do so, I'd encourage you before you take the, uh, the elements of communion to examine yourself, examine your own heart. Remember Christ's sacrifice for you and allow God to forgive you once again for all the ways in which you have fallen short of what he has planned for you and you won't have to think hard like me to think of ways in which you've done that over the last period of time. We need to forgive ourselves sometimes, don't we? And we also need to remember to forgive others in our community as well. Jesus says in Matthew 5, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and you're there, you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. For all the little annoyances and irritations that a community of diverse and different people have in the family of God that you will have around you today, the agape love of God allows you to forgive and to overlook. So don't let that opportunity go by today without responding to God and forgiving those you know you need to forgive. See, the thing about spiritual gifts is that one day we won't need them anymore because we'll be with the giver of spiritual gifts in glory. Now, we'll learn about, more about that next week as we continue on looking at 1 Corinthians 13 but for the same reason that Scripture tells us there will be no marriage in heaven since we will collectively be the bride fully united with Christ, so one day tongues and prophecies will not be needed. So for now, let's use them and honour them, but let's not put them in the place of God. And finally, before we close today, let's remember this promise. Love never fails. In a world of conflict where it feels like the agape love of God is sorely lacking in lots of different areas, it can feel like maybe this is not the answer after all. But we have this promise to cling to, that because of what Jesus has done through his death on the cross, through his resurrection into glorious life, through his making a way into heaven for us and in bringing us in to the family of God, the ultimate expression of agape love we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that his plans and his purposes will come to pass. Love is therefore the ultimate pay it forward. We love because he first loved us. And it's an expression of the way that God loves us and calls us to do the same to others in our community and in our circle of influence. Love is always the answer. Even if we as flawed human beings are not yet fully like Jesus. Which means that the outworking of our spiritual gifts and the ways in which we want to try and bless one another may not always bear the desired fruit. They may sometimes be wrong, and that's okay. They may sometimes be inaccurate. They may sometimes be deadly accurate, but actually cause the hearer some genuine challenge in their life, and that's okay too. But... If they are brought in love and received in love, they will never fail. So let's love one another as Jesus has loved us. Let me pray. Father, I I thank you for these wonderful verses which describe to us what the agape love of God really looks like. Lord, I thank you so much for our communities in which we gather, wherever we might be. Lord, I pray that you will fill us to the full measure of your Holy Spirit, not for our own benefit or our own glory, but so that we may be a blessing to those around us. Thank you, Lord, that the agape love of God is so clearly worked out in community and in fellowship with one another. And I pray that as we go on to exercise gifts in our gatherings and with the people around us, that community is where we will find the clearest, most joyous expression of the love of God. Thank you, Jesus, for this love. May we love one another as you have loved us. Amen.